Hi guys, I'm Stephen Getz. We're doing Jewish Agnostics. This is the first session. Um, the structure is usual. Five questions, five minutes. It'll be around 25-30 minutes, but we'll have sectors so you can just jump ahead and watch whichever question you like. Um, again, I'm Stephen Getz. I go to Jewish day, uh, Poznak Jewish Day School. Um, 16 years old and everyone else can introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Azalon and I go to the same school as Stephen and once again I'm also very glad that we are about to have our first ever podcast episode and here with me we have Rabbi Aaron uh, Pink and uh, before before we begin uh, just a couple of questions so how do you feel about being the first interviewee on our show or podcast sorry I'm very honored to be chosen as the inaugural interviewee for uh, this podcast. Um, I had Steve as a student, Stephen as a student last uh, last year and first semester, and he has great questions. And um, hopefully, I can give some answers and thoughts to all your viewers and listeners' uh, great questions. Perfect. And. Uh... Can you give us a little bit of background of uh, what you did in the past and what you're doing now, uh, religiously, that is? So, I'm a Chabad rabbi, which we call um, in technical terms a shliach, and I have a Chabad center, Chabad of East Plantation, um, and it's we service the east side of Plantation, but we're not limited to that. As you know, obviously, I know a lot of the uh, students in Poznak, and our goal is to um, spread the teachings of Judaism, explain them, make them accessible, and um, let each person individually um, connect on their own level and grow on their own level. Perfect. So um, I think we're going to begin now with our five questions. And our very first question, this was submitted by one of our viewers, Elon Goldman. So... This question was, could you prove that God is real? So, when we think about God, right? Everyone has a different thought. Even people who say, I don't believe in God, still have some sort of thought. What is a God I don't believe in? But, I think that really most of us have a misconception about what God is. And let me give you um, five statements about God. Question number one. If you, sorry, statement number one. If you can define it, it is not God. If there could be more than one, it is not God. If it could be denied, it is not God. If it could be proven, it is not God. If there could be anything else, it is not God. If it will not allow anything else to be, it is not God. So as you can see, they're kind of contradicting each other, they're kind of growing each other, telling us that God is not a physical thing or even any sort of spiritual creation, which is generally as human beings, the only way we can relate to something is a created thing. We, even a spiritual creation, an angel, we can try to think about it, or a physical creation. But a spiritual, but God isn't any of that. So if we take these sentences, and seeing that it's a podcast, people can rewind and listen again, exactly what it is. 
it will allow us to understand that most of us, I'll probably say all of us, and myself included, because I have to think about this constantly as well, that our preconceived notion of what God is, is somewhat off. God is not a creation, it's not physical, it's not spiritual, but we can still try our best to um, think about it and relate to God um, as a human being. I really like that answer, and I have two follow-up questions for that. One, um, for those people, and even rabbis, who try to garner evidence to prove God's existence, as that is a contradiction of one of the statements, what, w what would you say to those people who try to prove it with empirical evidence? So, if it could be totally proven and not denied, then it's not God. They're not proving God. We could prove um, the way God interacts with us, but if it's a way that this has to only be God and there's nothing else exists, then it's not God because God did not um, allow us to get to that level of, of relationship. Because, as um, maybe we'll touch on later, the idea of free choice. But ultimately, it's good that we should try to um, come up with thoughts and ideas to prove God. But remember, if it could be 100% proven, then you're doing something else. It's not God. I see. Um, if that happened to be true, there are, for the viewers out there, Kabbalists are biblical literates who try to prove God's existence. Why, why do they try to prove God's existence, these Kabbalists, if they know that proving his existence would contradict that own statement? So, what they're doing isn't proving that God exists and they can no longer say there's only God. What they're doing is um, giving us proof towards God's existence. But what we're saying is, if it could be empirically proven 100% that there's only God and there's nothing else, then that is no longer what God is. That does not stop us from trying to prove and trying to figure out what it is. That's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God to try to know God. Um, yeah, so... I guess a couple of questions of myself. So it seems to me that, especially with this, uh, with one of the statements that you said that if you can 100% undeniably prove the existence of a God, then it's uh, not, God. not God. Exactly. So that leads me to think. So what you seem to be suggesting is that really this entire religion, it's not really something that's as much as we can try to prove the existence of a higher being and whatnot, but we need to also keep in mind that it's a faith-based religion. And even though you can go 99% of the way there to proving that there may or may not be a God, that 1% ultimately needs to be composed of faith, right? So there always needs to be some elements of that, faith, not some element of omniscience. That, that is correct. And that is correct. And that is a free choice that we have. And that allows us to have free choice. And for people who like that Fourth Amendment, that trying to get closer to God, but at the same time, you can't use evidence to prove God, does that in a way contradict itself, trying to build a relationship on something that really can't be proven? And how do you steer clear of that contradiction? No, no, because, because, because we human beings, right? We have time and space. We have finite we're not infinite. And God said, the first commandment, 
I am the Lord your God. And as I say, this means we have to try our best to understand God based on how we can. God doesn't want us to understand God how he is ultimately because we're not, it's not possible. Our brain is not possible for us to, com to comprehend that. So our job is to try to understand God as best as we can with our finite brain. And then from there, whatever we cannot get, whatever we get to say, okay, I cannot get past here, this is a faith. But it doesn't stop us spending a lifetime um, proving and studying um, to get to that. Uh, so I see, like, we try to understand God until our human optimum ability, and then the rest is faith-based, and that's where you dive into your own spiritual world. Yeah, and, and remember, our intellectual ability is pretty great. <clears throat> so, um, you know, spending an hour, two hours, five hours, ten hours, a hundred hours um, is great, but that's not, the, that's not the capacity of intellectual ability, which is why um, studying and studying about God and studying Torah is really a lifetime, um, lifetime effort. And as we, as we, each time we speak about, each time I speak about it, I come to a great understanding. And each time, you know, we study about it, we get to great understanding, which brings me to a point I always like to bring out that a lot of us, not you guys, because you're doing what great what you're doing, is that we get an elementary level understanding of Judaism, and then we kind of check out. But then we keep on educating ourselves with the sciences and with the arts, etc. We're getting um, degrees and master's degrees and doctorates, but our Judaism stays in elementary school. But really, our mandate is, as long as our physical brain can keep on studying, we've got to keep on developing and working on our understanding of God and understanding of Judaism. And what, so what you're doing is great. You're not, being, you're not sufficing with the elementary level of Judaism. You're digging deeper to try to get um, more answers. I see. Okay, do you want to move on to the next question, Art? Yeah, sure. So, this second question comes from our viewer, David Getz. And what he's asking is, if God were real and all-powerful, why would he allow people to make religions that contradict his greatness? And such as, for example, Christianity, in the views of Judaism, is idolatry which would be forbidden. So how would, uh, why would God create these, uh, or allow rather these conflicting viewpoints? So I want to add on to the question. Why does God allow us to believe there is no God? Why does God not make it that we can see him or we can prove him a hundred percent? And, and the basic idea of Judaism is free choice. When God created the world, he created different levels of creation. There's inanimate, right? The earth. There's things that grow. Trees, seeds, etc. Fruits, vegetables. There's the animal life. And the highest level is humans. And the difference between human being and everything else is our ability to have free choice. But in order for us to have free choice, God has to hide himself. He has to give viable um, explanations that could happen that would be not believing in God. So, as you know, there's many explanations we can come out, up with creation of the world, how the world works, and the same with religions. There's religions that um, believe in God, they kind of change it a little bit, that um, are not quite all the way there. And 
that is the idea of Judaism, is free choice. But, but, and here's the big but, ultimately, when we study Judaism in depth, not just listen to sound bites, to go after our emotions and stuff, we will come to the conclusion of the truth. It might take one year, it might take 10 years, it might take 50 years. But that's, that's, that's um, what Judaism is. Because we're studying the truth, ultimately, even though we have free choice to believe anything we want, the God did give us the ability to come to the right conclusion. But for some people, it's easy. They're brought up with it and they have no questions. And for some people, it's a lifetime of um, study and questions. I see. Um, I have one question based on that, though. Given that God allows free will and promotes it, if that, why does he allow this free will to drive them out of reason and spirituality into, like, possibly atheism or other contradicting religions, rather than finding or, like, shaping free will into um, aspiring to praise God in a certain unified religion? How would that be free choice if we have to choose to believe in God? Well, it would still be free choice as if, our, if, as if it were our choice, but why doesn't he point us to our direction with evidence that we can learn and take on? Like, for example, it's still free choice that there are laws of thermodynamics, but us discovering them is free choice. So why doesn't he point us to himself that we can discover with free choice? He does. That's called a miracle. But we have a choice. Most miracles, most miracles, not necessarily all of them, can't be explained by nature. Some miracles, either we say there's no explanation in nature, or we say we don't know the explanation yet, and then we could choose. Am I just going to say, well, I've got an explanation for it, or, well, that's pointing in God's direction. Um, and, and yes, it, it's not easy because we live in a world where um, mir revealed miracles don't happen as much as maybe they used to, but it's still there, and um, we can still see God's hand in many things. We could choose not to. We could just say, oh, that was just a chance. That just happened by chance. Or we can see, wow, the chances of that happening is 0.0000. .000. That's the hand of God. And that's choice. That's free choice. And that's, uh, and that's really what it's all about. Um, so, another question. So... Because we are given this freedom of choice, and uh, because some Jews have done this historically, and some Jews do it uh, in the modern age, if we willingly decide to convert into a different religion, whether this is Christianity, Islam, or even one of the Eastern religions such as Buddhism and Hinduism, do we? Is there any sort of uh, spiritual punishment in? Olamaba or in the next life if there is any in the first place or do we go so, so by definition as a human being if we have free choice we can there's consequences to our choices okay some consequences happen straight away to our choices right we choose to drive drunk and we crash we straight away get the consequence right um, and it's a choice if I had no choice about driving drunk because I was a robot or I was an animal or whatever it might be, then we might do something because the animal is a danger, but we don't give the person a the animal a consequence because of their choices. 
a human being gets consequences because of their choices. So if we choose to do something that um, God asks us not to do, so yeah, we are separating ourselves from God. And ultimately, yeah, there is spiritual um, adverse effects that happen. But the only one who judges that is God. Because God's the only one who knows what challenges we are in and what brought us to that decision. And therefore, as a fellow human, we don't judge other people. That's God's position to judge. Okay. And I have one question for, like, the modernists out there. Since the world is becoming increasingly secular and divided, why aren't these miracles that have been performed, I mean, throughout the ages, being performed now at a time of desperate need for faith? So, it's a great question. And um, two things to point out. In Jewish tradition, since um, 2,000 years ago, when the temple was destroyed, um, God's presence has been less revealed in this world. So although we do need it more, um, ultimately until the coming of Mashiach, the Messiah, his presence is less revealed. Second of all, if I have a 100 watt light bulb, right, shines a bright light, and I put on sunglasses, now it looks like a 40 watt light bulb. If I then put dirt over those sunglasses, I hardly see it. So it doesn't mean that God's miracles are not there. It doesn't mean we're a generation, that we're covering over our senses and our, our ability to sense and be receptive of that miracle. Something to think about. Um, but what I will say is, 300 years ago, there's a great rabbi known as the Baal Shem Tov, who revealed the teachings of the Kabbalah to every... Um, made it accessible to every person, because until then, known as Chassidut. Chassidut is applied Kabbalah, it's the teachings of the mystical, the hidden parts of the Torah, and he made it accessible um, to the average student, until then it wasn't. And through studying Chassidut, it does give us this um, strength that even in a very modern world where we're becoming uh, less attached to God, we can study these teachings, and um, many people have found it, and giving it, um, giving it them the ability to reconnect. I see. So as for miracles, it almost seems to me as if we, not as they're not, not that they're not there, but more we need to see it through a lens of uh, gratitude. We need, we can, they're, they're still there, but because of our modern world uh, with the goods and the bads, uh, one of the bads that I've noticed is that uh, people as a whole are less gratuitous. So you're saying that technically there still are miracles there if when you think about it, when you really uh, absorb the information, but it needs to be seen through a more gratuitous lens. And, and it's our choice, right? It's our choice to see it as a miracle or to try to uh, um, talk it away as something else. And sometimes the idea of talking away something else is convenient because you know if we accept that as a miracle then it means wait a minute now i've got to make some more choices in my life about my decisions like if there's god maybe i have to change some of my decisions of what i'm doing maybe it's not just about me and what i feel but maybe there's something higher that i have to take into account when i make my choices so it's kind of easier to explain it away as something else and saying you know what that is a miracle 
And the reason why we don't have like miracles in the modern age yet is because that time of desperation has not arrived yet. And if it does happen to arrive, it would that miracle would happen and it'd be like another revival of Judaism. Um, you mean having a revealed miracle that everyone says that's a miracle? Well, yeah, like, like uh, splitting of the sea, splitting of the sea, or God revealing himself like at Mount Sinai. So that we believe is going to happen only when Mashiach comes, which we pray for every day. Mm -hmm. And it would happen at a time of like desperate need because for like our followers out there, Mashiach usually come at like a time of division and separation. Not necessarily. There's different opinions about about that. This is a whole other topic in itself about, about Meshach. But yeah, Meshach can come when things are good, when we're living in a beautiful country where we have so much um, opulence and so much, uh, so many creature comforts that when something goes away for, you know, when internet goes down for 10 minutes, we're flipping out um, and we have to like maybe reevaluate how great life is and Meshach can still come at that time. I see, I see. So any need for reevaluation and that time of need can like, even though the Mashiach is not here yet, that's where spirituality and faith plays a role because you need to have faith that the miracle will come. So you need to have faith in those 100 light bulbs, even though there's dirt covering your lens. You need to still understand that they're there, even though you can't necessarily see them with so much obstruction. Right, but not just that. The faith should be, even when things are going crazy. Uh -huh. Oh, you know, I don't have anything to ask from God today. Life is good. I got up, got my job. Everything's good. Going on vacation. God, I'm good. No, we have to recognize that every day is a blessing. Every day that, um, you know, that's, that's the real faith. Not just when we're pushed in a corner, but when things are good. And I believe I that's, even, that's even the first prayer we say in the morning. You no, know, the Modani or Modani, if you're a girl, the, the gratitude you're expressing towards the beginning of a new day, that you made it through the night, that you're able to continue living. So, okay. So you're constantly seeing those yeah. 100 light bulbs. I mean, there's 100 watt light bulbs, despite dirt or just clear lens. Yeah. Um, and even even if even if the dirt is on it, but you don't need the light bulbs because you feel everything is good, realize that they're there. The, light, the light bulbs is having an effect on us, even if we think we don't need it. Uh-huh, I totally see. Um, for our next question, we have, um, is heaven just a defense mechanism used to cope with death? And this question asked, if not, is there proof of heaven? And if no proof and faith is just a premise, why do we prove God's existence? But I think we explained that second part in our first question. So um, I think like... Let me just, just jump in over there and say that um, in a general sense, Judaism is not a religion that one person says, oh, God spoke to me and here's what he told me, guys, everyone listen. 3,300 years ago, there was a mass revelation where over 3 million Jews um, experienced the revelation of God. Great. Then we received a book which writes about that revelation and these same three people didn't say, by the way, kids, here's this great book, but some of it isn't so exact. They tell the kids, everything that happened in that book is exactly what we experienced. So the mass revelation took place and it was passed down from generation to generation. It's something you learn, I learn, and we all study. Faith has been passed down from, 
from our forefathers that this is, is what happened, a mass revelation to every single Jew. And this same revelation, um, and this same book, um, teaches us about the belief in the oral Torah, that God explained to Moses um, the explanation of the Torah, and from there is where we get the explanation about heaven. So although it's not written um, black and white in the written Torah, it's part of the same belief that 3,300 years later, we're studying from the same book, in so much so that if one letter of the Torah is written wrong, we don't use it. And, and this is the idea of a mass revelation that's been passed down to the people, passed down to me and you, and passed down to the Jewish nation. I see. I, I feel like that fully encompasses the question. Um. For the next question, um, this is from Zachary Carter. Um, can one still pray, including repeating prayers that acknowledge God's existence, if they're unsure of God's existence? So essentially I'm asking, in other words, or Zach Carter's asking, sorry, um, that if you pray and that, pr and that prayer acknowledges and praises God's existence, even if you're unsure he exists, would that st still be fulfilling the job of prayer? That's a great question. Let me give you an example. I go to the doctor and I receive a diagnosis and the doctor prescribes medication. So I decide, wait a minute, I'm going to research how this medication works before I start taking it. And it's a medication that took years of research and trials and formulations so until they got to the final one that worked. So meanwhile, I'm not taking the medicine and I'm spending hours and days and weeks researching it. I'm basically trying to put myself through medical school before I take the medication. Does that make sense? No. I take the medication. I might be a little apprehensive. I do a little research, but I'm, ex I'm, I'm accepting that there's people who have researched it, who have studied, who have spent 10, 5, 10, 15, 20, some medications or more researching why it works, and I'm taking that. And I might spend many years researching why the medicine works, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it meanwhile. And the same too. Studying about God is a lifetime, right? And to say, well, maybe I shouldn't pray until I've got to my conclusion. Well, maybe you're going to get to the conclusion at 70, 80, or 9 years old. And then what? For 70 years, you're not going to pray? So, yes, pray should be done even if we're not sure. Um, because ultimately, if we're thinking and asking these questions, it means we're going to grow, we're going to get to and we're going to come to conclusions. And therefore, we should still pray. And especially, especially as a basic idea of Judaism, is that we have a body and a soul. So even though our body cannot sense God, our soul can. So ultimately, our soul know, knows the truth. So even might think, well, it's hypocritical. My body doesn't believe in God. My brain doesn't believe in God. But we have a soul that gives us energy, that gives us life, and that soul does. So deep down, we're not hypocritical. Deep down, we're just um, tagging into something so deep in our self subconscious that it might take years and years and years for us to get to realize and get to that point of understanding. I see. So it's kind of like, even in the medicine, even if you don't necessarily believe it with the body part, the medicine, taking the medicine will help regardless. So that yeah. in prayer, even if you don't necessarily... If it's a proven, if it's a proven medicine. Uh -huh. and, it could take, and it could take you 20, 30, 40 years to come to that same conclusion, because a team of scientists 
might have researched it for 10 or 20 years. Uh -huh. And knowing that within the body perspective, if you don't necessarily believe in God, but you're praying, would that technically go under thou shall not lie, which contradicts like one of the commandments because um, you're not necessarily lying, but you're lying to yourself if you're acknowledging God's existence when your body doesn't acknowledge God's existence, even though your soul does, if you know what I mean. So if a, per if a person has that question, right, it means they're questioning and still growing about their belief in God, and therefore it's not a lie. And if a person doesn't have that question, then they're not growing in the God, they're not going to have the question anyway. Okay. So it's mute. So if someone were like perhaps not necessarily an agnostic, but an atheist, and they knew God didn't exist, so to speak, um, would praying help them at all if they didn't necessarily have that question? Would it create questions? Yes. Be yes, because the soul which gives, a, which gives us our life, which keeps alive, knows there is a God. So on a very, very subconscious, deep level, when a person prays, they are connecting to that. Even if the body doesn't feel it, the brain doesn't understand it, we're still connecting. I see. Um, so going back to the atheist, or even the agnostic, if you will, uh, praying, so surely, and I mean, especially if you're an atheist, I would assume that you're not really, when, you're, when you are praying, you're not really praying with the... Uh, really meaning and feeling and emotion behind it. It could be more seen as a lip service. Uh, and uh, of course you can correct me, you're the rabbi here, but I doubt that uh, I doubt that God would enjoy that in prayer, just mindlessly saying these prayers without any meaning behind them. So uh, my question is, if you're not, if you're not sure, or even if you've made up your mind that there isn't a God, can you, can you still pray with meaning? Could you still put meaning into the prayer? So, Oz, you just had a party and you ordered 10 pies of pizza and um, everyone ate pizza and there's some crust left, some of the box have a slight, couple of slices in and there was no one wants any pizza, everyone took pizza home. Your job now is to put that pizza in the trash. And, okay, so you go, open the door and um, you got to walk all the way to the dumpster and you pick up the pies, the, the boxes, and as you get to the door, someone's standing there and it's a homeless guy who is starving hungry. And you're really not in the mood and you say, he says, oh, have you got anything? She say, you want these boxes? And throw some crust in. And the guy's over the moon and like you say, okay, here, take it. You don't have to walk to the dumpster anymore. You really weren't in the mood to do anything for him. But he saved you the walk. He saved you having to walk to the dumpster. This homeless guy, he just found himself probably with all the crust and all the leftovers, probably a half a bag of pizza. He's over the moon. So you didn't really care. In fact, the guy saved you the effort of going to the dumpster. You hadn't really known, you know, you just told him, get lost, I'm not, you know, I'm in a bad mood, go, go try the next door neighbor. But instead, he gave it him. Was there any point? Should you have said, well, I really don't want to help him, so, if I give him the boxes just to save myself going to the dumpster, then I'm not being honest, I'm not going to give him that. But no, that guy doesn't care why you give him the, the boxes. That's the guy what saves you. He wants the pizza. So too is God. God wants us to pray. The fact that we're having challenges in believing in God, God's still happy that we're praying. Yes, ultimately we want to get to the level that our prayer is meaningful and it means something to us. But the fact that we did it, God is over the moon. And potentially, like, so it's less about the... Uh... 
well, I don't know if I should call it intent or not. It's less about the feeling and belief and more about just the actual action of doing it that makes it a uh, holy act. Right, but it's both. But just because we don't have one part doesn't mean we shouldn't have the other part. And God is happy just if we didn't get the one part because he knows how life is. He created us. He knows the challenges we have. And therefore, just doing it itself is and perhaps like if you keep giving those pizza boxes to that homeless man you can now feel that connection toward those homeless people and actually enjoy to give those pizza boxes after doing it for a little eventually maybe yes and but even if it doesn't <clears throat> it's still a good thing to know i see i see So our final question, question number five, comes from Jonah and Tevi, and he's asking, will religion ever become extinct? So, if Judaism will be based on a human being, or human thoughts, then yeah, you know, physical creation is finite. But Judaism is based on a God, on belief in God, on God that is not a creation. Physical things eventually die and stop. But God is not a thing. And therefore, God will always be. And Judaism will always be. I see. And like, from like a perspective that were purely secular and empirically based, would that contradiction between a non-existent thing, that's something that evidence can't prove, or then it's not, not true, um, something creating a physical world, which is a thing, is that contradiction only explainable in spiritual and faith terms? So, so a whole other topic is the idea of creating something from nothing. So, in a hundred years time, scientists got really smart and they figured out how to create a human being. So they said, God, we challenge you, we're going to see who can make the better human being. Are you ready? And your mouth can set, go. And the scientists rub, run. And they grab some earth together and God says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, go make your own earth. We can only relate to something coming from something. As a human being, we cannot relate to nothing coming from, something coming from nothing. And that is the idea of God. And it's, even though we can talk about it, even though we can try to think about it, ultimately we can never get our mind around it. Something coming from nothing. What is nothing? An emptiness, a vacuum, is still something. And ultimately, that is um, when we get to the belief that, yeah, my mind's going to think about it, but I'm going to realize that as a human finite being, we could never fully understand that concept. Although we study about it a lot and we talk about it a lot in, in Judaism. And using that, like, nothing, something out of nothing, does that, like, contradict science in a way? Because we can't wrap our heads around it, but the fact that that did happen, um, would that like disprove a bunch of like the scientific theories about the law of conservation of mass, thermodynamics, gravity, and how all of that exists? No, because that applies, that applies to something. Does it? Absolutely not. That applies to when something is already in existence. Oh, but if nothing's in existence, the laws wouldn't apply because there's no... The world's the world does not apply. And then, and then there's a whole other discussion um, about how things in existence, but that's not for today. I see. So, um, on the topic of whether a religion can truly die or not, so, I mean, you can, 
alongside these uh, Abrahamic religions and these Eastern religions and all of these other different faiths, you can also categorize the religion as uh, um, you can you can almost categorize it as a shared belief amongst uh, many. So, um, for example, secular secularism uh, in itself that could also be viewed as a religion. Like atheism is considered a religion by many, even though in essence and by name it, and by definition, it's uh, the opposite of religion. So, are you trying to say that only a religion that's tied with God can live forever? Or can last forever? So, ultimately, um, belief in God and the true belief in God, of, as we spoke about, if you can prove he can all those things, is what will last forever. And anything else will not. Might last for hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. It's a physical creation, and physical creations do not last forever. I see. And given free will, um, that it is necessarily our choice. So, like, let's just suppose that it was our choice to disregard, and, like, perhaps an Abrahamic religion starts to fall out. Would a Mashiach or something or a miracle occur before that fallout that would save it from extinction? Um, theoretically... If such a thing would happen, then yes, because God in the Torah promised he would never ex be extinct. So if something were to happen, where it would be? I choose. I see. Yeah. That is, yeah. So even in an ever-growing secular world, if the secular world really does happen to take over and diminish all the other monotheistic religions, there would be, theoretically, some act that would reinforce religion. And you, yeah, and and don't worry. There's over five thousand Chabad rabbis around the world. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Um. Thank you so much for joining. That that's the end of five questions. I know we went a little over, but we really did answer all questions thoroughly. And um, any got anything you guys want to say? Oh, that was uh, great, and uh, good luck with anyone with a question. And with your study and with your search, because it's a lifetime. And we hope we've given you all something to think about and uh, ponder. And until then, this is Azalon and Stephen Getz on the Jewish. Um, if Express. you have any, yeah. yeah, if you have any questions, just leave them down in the comments below. Again, we'll select the top five and ask them to our next interviewee. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye.